And we're going to look at Exodus 30, verse number 17. And it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal. And thou shalt put it between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, and thou shalt put water therein. For Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, they shall wash with water that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord. So shall they wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. And in verse number 8 of chapter 38, it says, And he made the laver of brass, and the foot of it of brass, and of the looking glasses of the women assembling, which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And another passage in Exodus chapter 40, verse 7, it says, And thou shalt set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar, and shall put water therein. And the final passage in Exodus is chapter 40, verse 30 to 32. And he set the laver between the tent of the congregation and the altar and put water therein to wash withal. And Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and their feet thereat. When they went into the tent of the congregation, when they came near unto the altar, they washed as the Lord commanded Moses. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, that we can be here uh, tonight. I pray, Lord, you would just bring uh, understanding to this passage. I pray you'd help me to uh, teach it with power, Lord. We need your uh, Holy Spirit to take control of this evening, Lord, and the message. And I pray, Lord, as a result of this, we would be uh, closer to you. We'd be cleaner. Uh, we would be ready to serve you um, the way that you plan for us to serve you, Lord. We just thank you for this time tonight. Bless everybody here. Give them the strength in their mind, in their heart, in their spirit to uh, just to be here and to listen and to get everything they can. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we're going to go right into this because I don't want to waste a lot of time here, but looking at number one, we're going to look at the laver's typology. And what we're looking at here when it comes to the laver is the Word of God, the Scriptures. And so that, that's important. Uh, letter A, the brass, as we found before, is a representation of judgment. And so when it comes to the Word of God and the Word of God in your life, judgment is involved with that. And uh, 1 Peter 4.17 talks about judgment and, the, and Christians. It says, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Yeah. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And it's like I said before, uh, we're in a very interesting and unique time as believers today. Uh, where we have this capability with the Word of God and with the Spirit of God to judge ourselves. We can truly be judges of our own selves using the Scripture. So you can even discern your own motives, not on your own, not just by following your conscience or uh, society, but as you go to the Scripture, you can begin to discern actually what, why you're doing what you're doing. And you can judge yourself. And the Bible says if you judge yourself, then you will not be judged. And that's talking about that time, of course, down on earth where we can be judged here uh, because of chastisement and so forth. But then there's also the judgment seat of Christ that you're going to be judged according to your works, uh, the things that are done in your body. And so it's, it really does us well to understand that we need the Word of God because we need to judge ourselves. That is so important. If you're not in the Bible, 
you're probably not seeing parts of your life that you need to see. <laughs> you know, you've got to constantly reveal in your life those things that need to be changed. And so brass is the judgment of the word of God, letter B. Water is the cleansing power of the word, cleansing power of the word. And so there, this laver that was placed between the altar and the tent of the congregation was filled with water. And this is where the priests would wash themselves and cleanse themselves before they went to serve the Lord in the tabernacle. In John 15, verse 3, it says, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And so it's amazing that through the Bible you can become clean. Uh, not talking about your hands and your feet necessarily, but talking about your heart, the yeah. inside. Yeah. Amen. And so the more you're in the Bible, the cleaner you become. and The more you submit to the scriptures, the cleaner you'll become. We'll look at that in just a little bit here. The size is not specified, so that's interesting. When you get uh, different illustrations of the laver, you, 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 you do a search on uh, your Google or whatever, and you look up the images, and there's everybody's got a different you know, idea of how big this was or whatever. That's not really the, the, uh, the important thing uh, because the fact, the important thing is that there was no size given. So there was no cubits and so forth. That's just explaining the fact when you go to the laver, what you're doing is you're having the Lord cleanse you, and that's through confession, that's through forgiveness, and that just shows you as a believer, every day you can go to the Lord, and you can, there's no cap to that. I mean, it doesn't matter. You say, oh, I've, I've messed up so many times, I'm sure he's getting tired of it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, he's not intimidated by sin. But, you know, the only thing that's going to really mess you up is when you stop going to the Lord for cleansing in your life. Uh, you know, don't ever get this attitude. You don't want to waste your time because I'm going to probably mess up anyways. You just keep on going before the Lord. And the cleaner you become, the less you will be, uh, you, you'll give in to some of these sins if you just keep confessing them, keep bringing them before the Lord and mean business, amen, and, and forsake them. And so uh, the size is not specified, the unlimited forgiveness of God. And so we need to understand that. Don't ever think that he doesn't want you to come to him and in confession of your sin every day every day every minute if you have to whatever you need that's what you do there's no limitation uh, and so we're gonna look at the material of the laver here number two Exodus 38 verse 8 it says he made the laver of brass and the foot of it of brass of the looking glasses of the women assembling which assembled at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And so it's quite interesting of the looking glasses. So this was a very specific thing that the Lord is telling us here. So it has some meaning here. This is something the Lord is trying to teach us as he's using the looking glasses of the women assembling. Now the mirrors of man, letter A, is about our appearance. And so all of us have mirrors somewhere, you know. Uh, as you get older, you don't look at them quite as much. But, you know... Uh, we all have mirrors. Before you go outside, before you go in, into the town, before you come to church, I'm sure most of you looked in a mirror because you didn't want your hair sticking up and so forth because you care about what you look like. Amen? And, uh, you know, even in your cars, I don't know about you, but in our, our, our suburban, we've got the, the sun visors and on the driver and the passenger side, you flip those down and you flip those up, you got lights and mirrors. You know, mirrors all over the place. You got your rear view mirror, you got your side mirrors, and that's all about looking around you and it's looking at your appearance and because you're concerned about the way you appear to other people. Amen? Yeah. Now, when you're at home by yourself 
and you, you, know, you got your pajamas on in the morning, whatever you do, I, I'm sure you're not too concerned about what you look like. Your hair's sticking all over the place. Who cares? You know, even your family, you don't care what your family thinks. You know, and uh, that doesn't really matter. But it's amazing. Mirrors represent our concern about our appearance to others. That's really what they are. And ladies, you probably have one in your purse. Ladies, how many of you have a mirror in your purse? None of you? Oh, man, you're not vain at all. Amen. <laughs> David's got one in his wallet. No. <laughs> Just because he, he combs his hair. Amen. <laughs> and so, so mirrors represent the vanity of man. We look into mirrors to make sure we look presentable and so forth. And uh, that's all to do with external appearances and concern about what people think about us. But number two, uh, mirrors were something used to judge external appearance. And in John 7, verse 24, I like what Jesus said here. He said, judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Yeah. And so we're looking to go a little past the, the external mirror here of our, what people see. Uh, that's what many times the Pharisees, they put on that outward show, but their inward was not righteous at all. And the Lord even said that. He says, you're whited sepulchers. That means you've whited the graves on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones, you know. And that you, he called them hypocrites. And that's the leaven of the Pharisees. And so very much if we're focused on just the mirror of man, all we're concerned about is what people think about us. And we spend all of our time trying to make people look at us in a certain way without really being concerned about what God sees inside of us and that's why jesus said you know judge not according to the appearance but judge righteous judgment and so there's something right about our judgment we have to look at in relation to our heart and letter b it's about that the mirror of god's word is about the heart it's about inside um many people say well the lord knows my heart well he sure does and it's a scary prospect that he actually knows your heart and that ought not bring joy to you. <laughs> you know, that'll, that ought to bring fear and intrepidation when you say that the Lord knows your heart. I think people that say that sometimes as an excuse of their lifestyle, as an excuse to why they keep doing the things they do. Well, the Lord knows my heart, even though I do bad things. He knows what my heart is like. That is someone who probably has not looked at the mirror of God's word. Yeah. They've been looking at the external mirror. They put on a good show sometimes. And then they put on this whole idea that God sees my heart, not really understanding that, no, the Lord, sure, he sees your heart, but he shows you your heart through the Bible. Yeah. See, you don't even know your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things. Who can know it, the Bible says. So you can't even understand your own heart. The Bible says that the Lord trieth the reins of the heart. He is the one that knows your heart. Amen. And that's no trifling statement. That's not something you just say because you're trying to get away with living uh, somewhat of a mediocre Christian life and nobody's supposed to judge you because the Lord knows your heart. All of you have heard somebody say that. And what you need to say is, man, yeah, that's an awesome thing that the Lord knows your heart. <laughs> you know, help them to see that you're, you're not judging righteously here in that statement. Because if you've brought the word of God to your life, to your heart, you'd be far more fearful to be thinking about that, that concept of the Lord actually peering into your heart. Amen. Because that's a pretty dirty thing in there. It really is. And so, number one, God's word shows us our sin. In Psalm 119, 11, it says, Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Yeah. 
And yeah. so when we go to the Word of God, it reveals our sin so that we, we confess it so we don't sin against the Lord. So the Word goes in so the sin discontinues. Uh, Romans 3.20 Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the knowledge of sin is through the Bible. We've been looking at that on Sunday mornings in, in Romans. You know, I had not, not known lust, except the, Bible, the law says, thou shalt not covet, you know. And so the word exposes or is the knowledge of our sin. Number two, the word reveals our shortcomings. And so Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so the Bible will show us how we've come short. And, and I think a lot, of, a lot more people ought to take note of that particular verse and understanding how short we have come of the glory of God. Now that's a different thing just saying uh, a perfection or holiness. The glory of God is the expression of God. It's the very weight and essence of who the Lord is. I've come short of that. And who is the essence? Who's the brightness of his glory? Jesus Christ. I always say you could, you could actually interchange the glory of God there with the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, for all have sinned and come short of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, and so that's how he reveals your shortcomings. As you go to the scripture and you, as you see the life of Christ uh, played out before you in the word of God, you begin to see how far off of the mark you actually are. You've come short of that, the forgiveness and the, the sacrifice and the love and, and also the standing on the word of God. I mean, the Lord was no slouch. I mean, he stood in the face of death, you know, uh, for, for truth's sake. You know, and there's so many things that the Lord can show us when we look at the glory of God. Um, like in Acts 24, 16, the Apostle Paul uh, said, And here do, herein do I exercise myself to always have a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. What an amazing statement. How many of us could say that? I all, I do, herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense. To always have a conscience void of offense. That means I'm daily, like you would exercise at the gym or whatever in order to get yourself into shape. His exercise was that he exercised his conscience so that he would be in tune on whether he has actually offended someone or if he's offended God. Wouldn't that be amazing if all of us would ha have that exercise program? <laughs> you know, that's far more effective than lifting weights. It's going to produce a lot more for you than running on a treadmill. I'm not saying don't run on a treadmill, but you know, uh, when, if we would have that kind of exercise program, the problems in the church and our families would be far, far less. Because we're always concerned whether we are offending another person rather than are they offending me. You know, great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Yeah. So here you are, you're a person that does not get offended and you're concerned when others are offended by you. Mm -hmm. Amen? That's a real Christian uh, concept there. That's a real Christian character. And I think we need to put that into our life. And the only way you can do that is allowing the Bible to reveal the shortcomings of your life and to be honest about the things you've said during the day, the way you've treated people, uh, all those things. Because we are so quick to justify ourselves. Well, they deserved it. Or, uh, you know, well, they were asking for it. 
you know, and, and we got all these justifications as to why we can just say what we want to people, do what we want to people, and not be gracious towards them, you know. It's just quite something that we're so good at that. Yet the Bible says, for it is God that justifieth. How does God justify? Well, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, I believe it is, it talks about uh, God forbid, um, uh, let God be true and every man a liar that thou mayest be justified in all thy sayings and thou mightest overcome when thou art judged. Amen? So the only way that I can overcome here is if I allow the Lord to tell me what is justified in what I've said and what I've done instead of me justifying myself. Yeah. So many times we justify ourselves. We've got to catch ourselves there. Hey, I've got no right to justify myself. That's not my place. The Bible says, for it is God that justifieth. Yeah, you know, somebody says, well, I'm going to work my way to heaven. Well, where did God say that? Your, your, your words are not justified. <laughs> well, this is what I believe. Well, how, how does the Bible justify what you just said? You know, because you don't have the right to justify yourself. God has to be the one to do that. You see? And so that's important that we go to the scripture for that. Number three, the word cleanses our sin. There's a lot of scripture about this in Ephesians 5, verse 25. It talks about a marriage relationship. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that it might sanctify and cleanse it with a washing of water by the word. So what happened here? He gave himself for the church, the sacrifice, the brazen altar, so that we could go to the brazen labor, so we could become sanctified. You know, and that's where the Bible tells us in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So he saves us so we can be sanctified. He saves us so he can make us into something that is special before God. Amen. The first step is to be saved. Second step is to go to the labor, <laughs> to wash yourself, to be clean, and allow the Lord to cleanse your life and your heart. Amen? Um, Hebrews 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Number four, the word brings us into close fellowship with God. I like this passage here in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So that means if you're a person that is touching the unclean thing, that the Lord is not receiving you. Yeah. Amen? Amen? I mean, you're playing with sin, the Lord's saying, I cannot receive. It doesn't mean that you're not saved, because when you got saved, you actually received Jesus. But now he's talking about fellowship. Yeah. He's saying, I want to invite you in and have some fellowship with you. I, I want to have a relationship uh, on an ongoing basis with you. But because you're touching the unclean thing, we have no fellowship. There's no close personal walk that you have with me. Even though you're saved. Even though Christ is in your heart. Even though you're born again. And it goes on to say, and I'll be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then you got to hop to the next chapter in, ver in the first verse there. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the, of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. See, that's connected 
to that last passage there in chapter 6. Therefore, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, knowing that if I depart from iniquity, knowing if that I cleanse myself from these dirty things that the Lord will receive me, it says, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. Amen? And so your, your flesh is messing you up and your spirit is messing you up. Because your spirit... And, and Ben, uh, do we have scripture for the screen on this at all? Does that work or is that not working? So when I, when I, do ask, when I call it up and you put it up on the screen, that'd be great. And so, so basically he's saying that uh, there's a promise here. The promise is that if you come out from the unclean thing, then you can have fellowship with me. And because of that promise, therefore, having that promise, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit. And folks, your spirit is easily seen. Amen? I mean, you can put on a smile, but your spirit is still easily seen. Uh, they know it when you walk in the door. Amen? You, you, you can't fool people with your spirit. Your spirit usually speaks louder than your words speak. <laughs> Amen. And so that's a result of your direct communication with God, that you're not in fellowship with him. And so when your spirit isn't right, it's because you haven't been walking with him, you're not reading your Bible, you're not talking to God, you're not putting your burdens on him, you're carrying them all, you're, you're bitter, whatever it is, that's because you're just simply not walking with the Lord. Your spirit is that part of you that connects with the Lord. That's what got born again. You're regenerated in your spirit. So the first part of you that touched God was your spirit. And now he's trying to get into your soul and through your body. Amen. But your spirit, if that is sour, how in the world are you going to have a soul that makes right decisions, thinks right, does right, you know, and all these things, and then living out a life that's the Christian life? It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You've got to cleanse the spirit. You've got to cleanse the flesh. Amen. And so anyways, let's move on here. So the priests had to wash before entering into the tabernacle, before they could talk with God, before they could walk with God. They had to wash beforehand. And God said, if you don't, you're going to die. You're going to die. And you know what? I, I think that a lot of Christians are dying. If you look at John chapter 15, it talks about the branch, and the branch withereth. And you know, because we're not connected to the vine, because the Lord isn't energizing us and giving us strength on a daily basis, even though we may look nice on our outward appearance, we go to the gym every day, we are withering like a branch spiritually. Amen? And that's what the Lord is talking about. The, the withering of the soul. You know, if the, if the Lord isn't feeding you through your spirit, how is your soul being energized? How is your soul being cleansed and filled with the spirit of God? Amen? It's not happening. And so Psalm 66 verse 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So if I hold on to sin, if I say, I'm not letting this go, I'm, I'm going to hold on to this, I'm going to keep doing this because I've got a reason, I'm justifying myself. He says, no, no matter what you tell me, I am not going to hear what you got to say. Your prayers will not hit home. Amen. And by hearing, he knows what you're saying. He's not, he's not foolish that way. He knows what you're saying. But the, when he's talking about hearing, he's talking about hearing with the, with the uh, desire to fulfill that request. The same way when you say, kids, are you listening to me? Are you listening? Well, sure, they heard what you said. 
But whether they did what you said is based on whether they're really listening to you. And so when the Lord says, you know, I'll hear you, he, there's going to be an action to that. But if there's no action because of our sin, he says, I'm not hearing you. Even though he knows what you said. <laughs> Amen. Anyways, number five, the word perfects us throughly, just like the priests washed themselves. Uh, throughly, we have to do the same thing. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Amen? Amen. And so God wants to thoroughly furnish us, not just thoroughly, thoroughly, inside out. And that is done through the Word of God, the inspired Word of God. Yes. Do you have the inspired Word of God in your hands? Amen. Boy, I feel sorry for people that don't believe that. That they don't have the inspired word of God. Well, it's inspired in the originals, so what you're saying is you don't have the inspired word of God in your hands. It's only in the originals. Well, where are the originals? Because I want the inspired. They don't exist. There's not one original document that exists today. Not one. There's copies of the originals and pretty old copies. But I'll tell you something, there's no originals. We got sermons written by first century preachers and scripture that they used in those sermons, but those weren't the original copies. But whatever was in those sermons, that was the inspired word of God. Yeah. The Timothy, as he was, like Paul's talking to Timothy here, he's saying, uh, you know, for the, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. Did he have the originals? <laughs> no, they were talking about the Old Testament. You go back to Moses. I mean, Timothy didn't have Moses' original letters in his hand. He had copies upon copies. I mean, we're talking thousands of copies later, yet the Lord calls those scriptures inspired. Yeah. Amen? Hey. It's amazing. But people, they try to say, you know, we can't have, oh, oh the world is too wicked. We can, we, can, we can have the perfectly preserved works of Shakespeare, but we can't have the perfectly preserved word of God. You know, Shakespeare, God is not preserving that. God has nothing to do with that. He doesn't care if they mess with the words on that because it really has nothing to do with him. But you know, he promised in his Bible he'd preserve it. So we've got a promise of God to preserve it. Plus we've got the example of preserved works all around us that go back to the time of the New Testament. Yet somehow we can't have the original inspired word of God in our hands. That sounds to me like it's a trick of the devil. To cause believers to think that they don't have the perfect word of God. Because I know the Bible says, Thy words are pure words, and therefore thy servant loveth it. And the devil knows that if we don't believe it's pure, we will not love it. Yeah. But if we believe it's pure, we'll love it. Amen. Amen. So I got no respect for these people that say it's inspired in the originals. Sure it was. <laughs> but that inspiration is preserved. The doctrine of preservation is equally as powerful as the doctrine of inspiration. So you have this inspired word that was breathed out, continuing on till the end. Amen? Same way God breathed into man a living soul, and that breath somehow existed all the way to where you are right now. Or are you not a living soul? <laughs> you know? If it was one breath, he's not breathing into every one of you, and you're born. <laughs> <laughs> that's not what happened he did it one time so when he breathed out his word one time do you think he can preserve it till the end yes. sure he can we live, in a, we live in a generation of fools today I mean I don't know why they want to just not believe that God's word is perfect and pure 
and I'm getting sick and tired of preachers standing behind the pulpit saying things like that. Yeah. Why don't you just quit, your, quit preaching and go get an honest job? Because if you're going to preach, you better say, Thus saith the Lord, not yea hath God said. Amen. You give me ten preachers that believe God's word is pure instead of a million that don't. Yes, sir. Amen. You do more. <laughs> do more for the Lord. Anyways, number six, the word must be studied. In James 1.21, it says, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Amen. This is really good. Notice that it always has to do first with laying apart all filthiness. That means you're not going to get anything from God until you start dealing with your sin. I get nothing from my Bible reading. Have you confessed your sin? Yeah. I mean, before you study your Bible, do you say, Lord, is there anything that's keeping me from being in fellowship with you? Lay aside all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, you know? Deal with those attitudes. Some people, when I see their attitudes, say, man, they never get something from God because they have a constant superfluity of naughtiness in their life. I mean, how in the world? Aren't you tired of not getting something from the Bible? you got to confess your sins. you got to go pure before the Lord, and then he'll speak to you and fill you full of his truth. Amen? If you're not going to go before the Lord with a pure heart, why would he give you anything? Amen? So, and it says, and receive. This means to accept and offer deliberately and readily. So that means as I go to the Bible, I'm saying, Lord, I'm ready to accept what you've got to say. I'm not going to the Bible to say, how can I use this Bible to prove my point? You know, walking in craftiness and handling the word of God deceitfully. Going to the Bible to prove, how can I drink alcohol? How can I drink wine? How can I prove wine is, is intoxicating and I can drink it? You know, there's people that do that. That's not what you do. That's not what it says there. It says you go to the Bible and you accept the offer that's given to you readily and deliberately before you even read it. You're already ready to receive it. Amen? Yeah. Then it says the engrafted word. Engrafted means implanted. It means to germinate. It means to grow up or spring up to produce something that is inborn, engrafted from another source. My dad used to do this. I saw him do it one time. It was so interesting. He, he had himself a tree in the backyard and he took another branch from a different tree and he cut a little slot in that trunk of that tree and he put it in there and he bound it up real nice and, and tight. And that branch that came from a different tree started to produce fruit based on a different trunk. That's what happened when you got saved. The Lord cut you out of the, the root of sin. He cut you out of that, that, that root of wickedness. And he engrafted you into himself. Amen. So now he's saying, let the word of God produce in you. Let it germinate in you. Let it produce something out of you. You are a foreign, you're a wild branch, the Bible says. <laughs> but he's engrafted you in. He's put you into his, into his economy, into his heart. Yeah. And now you can produce. Amen. So the priests had to meticulously clean themselves before entering the temple. So a quick glance into the scriptures is not going to do it for you. Not your just quick Bible reading for the day. You know, you got to start doing a little study. Take a word like I just, that verse I just looked at there. Just get some definitions of words and find out what that means. That's a, that's a study. Studying is just going to the Bible and saying, Lord, what does this really mean? I could go by that verse a thousand times and not understand what it's really saying. But if I would just go to the Lord, what does this word filthiness mean? 
What a superfluity of naughtiness. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, who uses that today? You know, what does it mean to receive with meekness the engrafted word? What does it mean to receive something with meekness anyways? What does that mean? That's study, my friend. That's how you get something from God. That's how you learn and grow. Get yourself a good dictionary. You don't have to be super smart. You don't have to have a big IQ. Just get yourself something you can, you can uh, especially now with computers and, and the different things you can do with computer-based software, you can pull words and get original Greek definitions, and, and you can learn all this stuff in a very short time. Amen? Oh, well, I just like using the good old book. Well, then do you? <laughs> I just use dictionaries. Well, then do you? <laughs> Folks, don't criticize me for using a computer-based software if you're doing nothing. Yeah. Amen? But most people do that just to get away with not doing anything. They criticize what everybody else is doing. Amen? I got books. I got computers. I think if Charles Spurgeon was alive today, he would have every computer software that's out there. When he had a library, he had an assistant. When he was preaching on a subject, he would tell that assistant, this is the subject I'm preaching on. This assistant would go into the library and pull out every book on the subject and lay it out on a reading table all around, and he would go around and just read through every one of those books. That's how he'd prepare. That's how he could come up with a sermon on the fly when he's going to church. He also had photographic memory. That helps. Amen. <laughs> Point number one. <laughs> Which page do you want me to preach? <laughs> you know, that'd be great. Anyways, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And really, that is the key today. You know what really is frustrating sometimes? You have people saying, well, what about this verse? And here you're supposed to answer this. On the fly, in the, on the way out of church or whatever. And you know what? That's not the way you study the Bible. Yeah. Like, I can give you my answer, but you're not going to accept it. Because you've already come up to your conclusion based on your method of Bible study. Which is probably internet or somebody told you something. And so if you want to really study something, and you want to know about it, you say, Pastor, can we sit down and go through the Bible? And then we'll sit down, we'll look at some words, we'll look at... Uh, who was it written to, why was it written to these people, when was it written to these people, all these different things you got to ask yourself. That is rightly dividing the word of truth. But these people come at you, and you got to be careful because you fall into that trap. I had a Jehovah's Witness call me, and he said, oh, could you tell me what this verse means? And right away, as I could sense in his voice, he was very, uh, I could tell it wasn't genuine. So I, I was saying, well, who are you? What church you go to? That's the first thing. <laughs> what church you go to? You're Jehovah's Witness, aren't you? <laughs> just trying to peg him. Because I need to know what direction he's coming from here. Because he's just trying to trick me. And so when people try to trick me, I don't spend time on them. They, they, they don't want to learn. They don't care what I got to say. They, what he just wanted is he wanted to put a little check mark beside the, the Pastor Jeff Friesen block. Uh, so that he could tell all of his friends, I called all the pastor and nobody had a good answer for me. That's what they do. But that's not Bible study. <laughs> that's not seeking the truth. Trying to trip somebody up on the telephone. My goodness, I wouldn't have a study on the telephone in the first place. You know, that's not how you do things. That's not how you study the Word of God. Rightly dividing the Word of truth. It deserves more than that. Amen? So don't be scared of just saying, you know what, goodbye. And I hung up on the guy. I said, no, 
I don't think you're sincere. I think you're just trying to trip me up. And, you know, and then he called back and, le- and mocked me on the answering machine afterwards, laughed. I thought, man, what's wrong with you? <laughs> you know, you're proving what you are, basically, yeah. is what you're doing. So I, I made the right choice. So the word, uh, number seven, must be obeyed, not just heard. We see that in James 1.22. It says, so we already looked at that first, uh, verse 21, where it says, lay apart all filthiness, superfluity, naughtiness, Receive with meekness the engrafted word. And then the next verse it says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So sometimes we think that just hearing it, we should somehow be proud about that. <laughs> you know, well, I heard this great message, okay? That's great that you heard the message, but are you doing it? How did, how did your life change because you put that into practice? Amen? And, and you know, I don't mind people coming up and say, Pastor, that's a great message, thank you. And I say, well, praise the Lord. But that really doesn't do much for me when I see you doing it. Then I'm saying, wow, now I'm a successful preacher. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're doing what's been preached. Then we've got something going on here. Amen. But just hearing. And so we've got to be careful about deceiving yourself. That somehow just hearing it is going is to do something for you. And I know faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But faith always has you know, shoe leather to it, <laughs> you know, you'll do something. Faith isn't just something you just believe, it's something you do. And so people deceive themselves into justifying their sin, even though they heard the word, you know, they, they twist things around. Ezekiel 33, verse 31, it says, And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people, and they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after their covetousness. And lo, thou art unto him as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. (laughs) Wow. Oh, yes, that sounds so great. Yes, amen, preacher. Oh, wow. I love that. But you got no intention of doing it. I can't tell you how many times I've preached something and I've seen somebody do opposite to that, just walking out of the door into the lobby. I'm just like, ooh, didn't you hear? <laughs> oh, yeah, they heard, but they didn't hear. Yeah. Hear is obeying and doing, amen? And you know what should have happened at the end of the message? There should have been a real uh, situation with the Lord taken. I always tell people the most important part of this message is right now when you're making your decision. Because if that decision would have been made... In your heart, that wouldn't have happened in the lobby. But because it wasn't made, that's why it happened in the lobby. Amen? Good message, preacher. Shake my hand. (laughs) Yet, you're not doing it. You're not doing it. And that's for all of us. For me, too. 1 Peter 1.22, it says, Seeing you have purified your souls. This verse is just, I, I love it. Seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. What is the progress there? My soul becomes purified as I obey the truth. If I'm not going to obey it, my soul's not going to get better. But the Bible says if I'll just simply do what the Bible asks me to do, that in itself will start a purification process in my heart. Amen? And what's going to be the result of that? It says an unfeigned love of the brother. What's unfeigned? That means unhypocritical. Yeah. 
That means they actually do love you. <laughs> they do care about you. It's not like they care about you in church and then at home they're cutting you up at lunchtime. Eh? We got to think about this. And so we have to, we have to truly obey the word of God. Uh, let's go quickly here. Letter eight, number eight. The word brings blessing. And this is the, the, the last verse, last couple of verses of that James 1 chat, uh, passage. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Blessing comes through the obedience of the word of God. Amen? So it says you look into it, and that looking isn't just a glance. You're looking into it, into the laver. You're seeing your reflection, and you're continuing there, and you're constantly going back to the laver and cleansing and looking and examining and judging yourself. And then he says that then you will not be a forgetful here, but you will do the work, and then you'll be blessed. So what brings a blessing? The doing. The doing brings a blessing. Not just being there to hear it, not just saying amen, preacher, not just going through the motions, but the actual doing of the scripture. That's what brings a blessing in your life. Amen? So in case you didn't know, that's it. All right, you knew that. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 2, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Proverbs 8.34, Blessed is a man that heareth me, talking about wisdom, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Amen? That, that passage is talking about wisdom personified. I cry upon the rooftop. Amen? He's talking about wisdom crying out. Who's listening to my voice? And so it says, Blessed is a man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates and waiting at the posts of my doors. Uh, number nine, the word will reveal whether our motives are right. And we've already talked about this, but Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And so the word of God will help you discern the way you feel about things. So I tell you, the pressures of the world can get your mind going all kinds of ways where you start justifying your decisions and attaching a little scripture to it or some little verse you found here or there, handling the word of God deceitfully. But the Bible says, having renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, nor walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully. So we have the desire to not have dishonesty in our hearts. And we have to desire to allow the word of God to show us to divide our emotions and our feelings from what is true, what, what the Bible is telling us is a true thing to do. Because you're not going to do that on your own. It's not just going to be an act of your flesh or your will that's going to cause you to see these things. It's going to be the scriptures and how the scriptures imprint your life and, and change you on the inside. That's how you're going to know. So these people that say, follow your heart, makes me cringe. <laughs> Amen. Just follow your heart. Wow, you're trying to doom this person? Then one of their lost, they're going to hell with that advice. You know, because, oh, I'm not so bad. People are just good people. No, people are bad. The Bible says they're bad. 
And you're bad because the Bible says you're bad. <laughs> you need a savior, you know. But, you know, wow. Anyways, number three. The laver's position, we're going to get through this quick here. Uh, only the priests washed in the laver have to be a part of the priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 5, ye are also lively stones are built up in a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So us as believers, we can offer up spiritual sacrifices to the Lord. But in order for that to happen, we have to be clean. We have to wash. Amen? Number one, the labor signified the cleansing of the word in a believer's life after salvation. So you look at 1 John, the, the book of 1 John is written to believers. And so you've got to be careful how you use scripture. But it says in 1 John 1, 6, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. This is talking about a Christian now. It says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And then it goes on to say, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So notice how this all works together. It's not us going up to people and say, oh, I've got no problems, I've got no sin. No, you do. <laughs> you've got sins, and you've got things that need to be dealt with. And if you say you don't, you're already in self-deception. Yeah. Okay. But that doesn't mean you're not walking in the light because you will always have sins in your life. It's just a matter of whether you're walking in the light or walking in darkness. Walking is practical. Are you practically making steps in the light or are you practically making steps in darkness? Because if, you, if you're making practical steps in darkness and you know there's things that you're doing that you could not tell people in this room right now. Amen. That's darkness. And to say you have fellowship with the Lord and walk in darkness, you're lying. Now, you may not say, I'm walking with the Lord. <laughs> no, I, I need help. Well, praise God. That, that's where you'll find them. Amen? But it's saying those that pretend. Oh, I'm walking with God. Yet they look at you and say, then why are you doing this? Why are you taking these practical steps in darkness? But then you say, I see a guy that's got a lot of problems and he's got sins in his life and yet he's seeking the Lord. He's moving in the right direction. He's walking in the light. He's wanting God to help him. And yet he's got a lot of problems. The Bible says that the blood of his son is, is having a continual cleansing in that person's life, even though they look worse than the one that's pretending. Amen? So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So that means that if you say you have no sin and you're going around saying, hey, I got, no, I've dealt with everything in my life and uh, there's not, nothing I need to deal with. I mean, you can say I've dealt with everything that the Lord has shown me to this point, but you can't say that there's, everything is dealt with. Because you're, until Jesus comes, you're going to be dealing with stuff. And you have to admit that. And if you can't admit that, it's because the truth isn't in you. And how does the truth get in you? Through the scripture. You're not spending time in the mirror. I mean, if you look in the mirror, then you'd always get a new blemish that would pop up in the reflection. You say, oh, yeah, I guess I do have some more problems to deal with. It doesn't mean that you're not right with God. It doesn't mean that you're not walking with the Lord. It just means that you're being honest about what, you're, what you are in your sin nature. Amen? You will always have sin in your life. But when you say, I'm, wa I'm, walking, I'm in fellowship with God, and yet I'm walking in darkness, then he says, you're a liar. You're a liar then. Amen? So that, that's a great passage. It just really uh, encapsulates 
you know, our walk with the Lord right there in 1 John chapter 1. Then it goes on to say, if we confess our sins, so sins is plural, it's talking about individual sins. So when the Lord reveals something through the labor, you confess it. And confessing is, is admitting to God, you are right about this sin. I'm in agreement with you about this sin. And I'm going to make a decision about this sin because it's against you. Amen? So confession has a, has a, a meaning to it of actually a covenant or an agreement with God. It's not just saying, oh yeah, I've done wrong and then walk away and go do it again. The Bible says, if you confess and forsake your sin, you shall have mercy. In, the, in Proverbs. Or is that Psalms? I forget. So sins. Whenever it's talking about plural sins, you're talking about the things that are hanging off the branches. The fruit that's on the branches. When you're talking about sin, singular, you're talking about the root of the tree. So you're talking about the sin and then the sins. <laughs> so you can't tell a lost person to deal with your sins because that's all he's got. <laughs> Even the things that are good are sins. The Bible says the plowing of the wicked is sin. That means just putting the plow into the ground and saying, look at what I'm doing and look at all the great things. You're sinning. Why? Because you're not giving God glory for the fruit that's coming out of the ground. When a saved person will be beside you doing the same thing and he's not sinning, <laughs> you know, because he gives God credit for what is happening in the process of plowing, you see. So you can't tell a lost person, deal with your sins. You tell a lost person, deal with your sin. Yeah. Deal with the root of the problem here. That's your lost state, your corruptness, you know, and be re-engrafted into Christ. Now once you're engrafted into Christ, now you deal with the fruit off the branches. You clip those. <laughs> What does it help to clip the fruit off the branches if you're still connected into the root of sin? Everything that comes off the branches will still be sins, you know? No good fruit will come out of that. So just a good illustration there. And it says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's move on here. Number two, the priests need only to wash their hands and the feet. I'm not going to read this whole passage, but you can do it at home. Talking about when Jesus... Uh, washed the feet of his disciples. And, and first of all, Peter said, no, you're not going to wash me because he, he was trying to be very pious and Jesus, you're way better than me. And then Jesus says, well, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part of me. So that means you cannot have uh, service with me if you're not going to let me wash your feet. Yeah. Oh, then he says, oh, then wash all of me, Jesus. And then Jesus says, no, 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 no. <laughs> he cracks him again. He says, Peter, you have only need that I wash your feet because you're already clean. So what he's talking about is, is Peter as a believer. You're already cleansed you know, by the blood of Christ. You're already cleansed by your faith in who I am. But you need to let me wash your feet. <laughs> so he's talking to believers here, not the lost. That's, the, that's a, something he's saying to the believers. He's saying you need to continually Keep your feet clean, because when you're walking in this life, you're going to pick up dirt. You're going to get dirty in your life. So you need to constantly let me, as your Savior, my blood cleanse you as you're living this life. But you don't need to be all washed, because your heart's already been cleansed. Your spirit's already been born again. Amen? So that's what we're talking about there. So priests needed only to wash their hands and their feet. All right? 
Uh, letter B, the priests had to wash before they ministered. And we looked at that already. They shall wash with water that they die not. That means before they met with the Lord, number one. And number two, before they ministered at the altar. So when you're serving the Lord, make sure you deal with your sins. You're going to come and do a music special. Don't come up here with sin in your life. You want to play piano here? Don't come up with sin in your life. And I know you're going to mess up, and you're probably going to have sins in your life that week, <laughs> you know. But I'm saying is deal with it before you get to the piano. Deal with it before you come. And you say, well, I feel like it's such a hypocrite, so I'm always confessing. And going, well, I'll tell you something. It's better than just not confessing. Yeah. It's better just to constantly let the Lord wash your feet. <laughs> Amen. You're just going to have to do it. And so I would always just encourage you, whenever you come to church, whenever you want to serve the Lord, whatever you're doing, make sure you're, you're confessing. When you come before the altar, whenever you're, you're taking the sacrifices on behalf of the people, make sure you're clean. So that means as you're soul winning, as you're testifying, as you're talking to people about Christ, make sure you're clean. You go soul winning. You, know, you don't go there with a bunch of garbage in your heart and mind. You, you don't go with anger and bitterness in your heart. You deal with it and you become clean and you go out and be a clean vessel the Lord can use to bring his message through. Amen? So that's, what, that's the, kind of the typology he's giving us here. The hands used in our work for God and our feet used in our walk with God must be kept clean. Amos 3.3, 3, can two walk together except they be agreed? So basically, if the Lord is walking in a direction, I know one thing, his feet are clean. And if you want to walk in that same direction, you've got to have clean feet too. Because if you've got dirty feet, you're not going in the same direction. You know, you're, you're not in agreement. And you need to confess, because when you confess that sin, then you're back in agreement again. So this isn't about looking at one person in the congregation here and saying, hey, you've done wrong this week, you ought to get this right. This is talking to every person in the congregation this week. Yeah. Saying we have to constantly, all of us, and if you're going to tell everybody, oh, i got no problems, you're just exposing yourself as a liar. You do. You need to deal with stuff every week, every day, Amen. There's always new things that he needs to work on in your life. Don't ever get to that place. That's why the, the, the heresy of the holiness movement is such a terrible thing, where they believe you can reach that point of sinless perfection. <laughs> and by the way, that, that holiness movement, that sinless perfection doctrine, came right before the Pentecostal movement. So when they said they come to that second point of no sin, that thing got transformed into the second blessing. They called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Later on, they called it the baptism of fire. After that, they called it when someone spoke in tongues. And they kept adding to that second experience as some kind of a, a holy experience that you're having. And everything you got going on today with the laying on of hands and all of that, that all came from that doctrine back in the late 1800s, from the holiness movement. Harry Ironside, read him. He's a great author. He belonged to the Salvation Army. The Salvation Army taught sinless perfection when they first began. And so he was confused about that. In fact, he went to a, uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but a mental home. Because he was so messed up by the fact that he couldn't reach that point of sinless perfection. And it was only there at that mental home that he met a Christian lady that finally it made sense to him that that was all heresy. And then he left and he became a preacher and a great author and he, 
you know, did some great work because he understood that you can't reach the sinless perfection. You have to realize exactly what I told you in 1 John. That is powerful truth that gives you encouragement to continue on even though you know you're a sinner, even though you know that you need help. So if you're constantly just beating yourself up all the time that you're, the, <laughs> that, that you're somehow a sinner, well, let me, like, what are you, proud? Like, you're supposed to be better than everybody else? Like, you are a sinner, and you'll be constantly a sinner till the day you die. The only thing is, is don't continue in sin that the Lord is convicting you of. When he's telling you and speaking to your heart, and, and you're, you're readily willing to receive it, receive the engrafted word, obey and do it. If you don't obey it, that's when your misery comes. Amen? And just be ready, because the moment that you deal with that, he's going to bring you something else. And that's going to happen until Jesus comes again. So a lot of people, like I always say, it's like going through a lesson book. Lesson one, lesson two, lesson three. A lot of people, they hit lesson three. Oh, I don't want to deal with that. Lord, let's go to lesson four. He doesn't go to lesson four. He sits there on lesson three. He'll do that for 80 years of your life. He will sit there on lesson three until you obey him, and then he'll go to lesson four. Amen? He doesn't just skip over. Oh, you don't want to deal with that sin that I convicted you of? Well, then let's move on to everyone. Don't worry about that. Now, that's bad parenting today, but that's not God parenting. When he tells something, lays something on your heart, he's expecting you to deal with it, and that's a proof that you are a child of God and that you have the Spirit of God inside of you. Amen? So deal with it. Lesson three, lesson four. And you know the book that he's got you in? Might have three, four hundred lessons, five hundred, a thousand. So don't get hung up on number three. <laughs> Amen. Just keep on going. Because one day Jesus will break through the clouds. We're going to see him as he is. And all of a sudden that book will be closed. That's all you need to do, son. And immediately you'll be like him in his image. All the lessons. We'll all graduate at the same time. Amen. Amen. We're, we're thinking, oh, I'm better than you. No, you're not. Because when we all get to it, we're all going to be there at the same time. So stop judging one another. The Bible says that's why it's not wise to compare yourself among yourselves. Amen. Let God do that work in you. Grow the way he wants you to grow and just continue on. You're not like the next person. You're going to be a different rate of growth. You're going to be on a different lesson plan than the person next to you. But you know what? Seek help if you need it. But continue on. Don't give up. Keep working through it. Amen. That's the Christian life. That's sanctification. Anyway.